When I was a little boy, I loved parades. We used to have what is known as a volunteer army. And all I had to hear was to hear the drums beating. And I was there, even to observe, to watch. I would go home and dream of the time when I would be one of them. So young and innocent I was that I even thought of becoming an American soldier. That tells you how young I was. Then years later, Lois and I are in Jerusalem. And we're being taken around by the guide and we got to this place where he claimed that this is where Palm Sunday took place. It looked something like what is described in the Bible. As we were on top of that hill close to a cemetery, we could look down and we could see. And I tried to frame in my mind what it must have been like that day when Jesus sent his disciples into the village ahead to prepare for his coming. Up to this point, every time Jesus did something miraculous or something that was just out of this world, he would always say to his disciples, don't say anything about it, don't tell anyone. But at this point, he is going public. He is going to make it known that that which was hidden for 33 years is now going to be revealed. That what Jesus was claiming in the temple, what Jesus was claiming on the sea, all these things were true of him. And I would pray that as I have been praying for the week, that as we once again come to this familiar story called Palm Sunday, that God will have something that is precise, something that is fresh, something that is new, something that can, can cause us to leave this room this morning and leave with a sense of having been where Jesus is, if you please, on that day. I have divided the text into two. Number one, that the parade or the procession that day focused on Jesus. It was not about the disciples. It was not about the crowd. The central figure that caused the uproar in the city was Jesus. Why was this so? Why was this, this parade or procession so important, not only to the, to the calendar of Christians, but to the whole program of God? I want to suggest three things that were necessary for that to be so. One, the procession was in prophecy. It was prophesied some 800 years before that this was going to take place at this time, in this place, in this way. 
It was said from the book of Zechariah. And then Matthew, when it was taking place, said, now this is taking place as a result of what was said. I have often said it, and I say it again. I have a number of reasons why I believe the Bible is the word of God. One of them is its fulfillment of prophecy. Think, if you please, 800 years before, a man who would not be alive, a man who was not able to tell what was going to take place, said this is what's going to take place, and 800 years from now, it will be fulfilled precisely as it was predicted. The Bible, my friends, is a book that is so precise that nothing that God has ever predicted will fail to take place. It will always happen because God cannot lie. But not only the fact that God cannot lie is that God knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, and he has the power to accomplish what he has predicted will take place. In fact, I am wrestling with what to do for next Sunday's message. And one of the interesting things that the Apostle Paul says, this is what the scriptures say. This is what the scriptures say. Jesus is going to die, but Jesus is going to rise. The scriptures said it. It can't fail, but take place. Because the scripture, my friends, are the express, the scriptures are the expressions of God by which he shares with us the tomorrows that we know nothing about, but that we can trust him because we are believing that he knows what he was talking about. The interesting thing about this prophecy is that when it was prophesied, Zechariah, following Isaiah, another prophet, said that when Jesus sends his disciples into the village, he will find two animals. He'll find a donkey and a colt. And you will see in a minute why this is so important. Because when Jesus was to choose one of the animals on which to ride, he didn't choose the donkey. He chose the colt. The colt. Because that's what the prophecy said. That's what the prophetic scripture said. And may I be so bold this morning, my friends, as to remind you that the scripture that predicted this incident or event in the life of Christ are the same scriptures that predicts that Jesus is coming again. And if he fulfilled it then, he will fulfill it again. That's why I believe the Bible is the word of God. As Jesus moved then through the whole area, the question was asked, who is this? You see, the focus was upon him, not upon the apostles, not even the crowd that were, were going to spread their garments later on. Jesus was a central figure. Because the prophecy was about the central figure of Jesus. It was about what he was going to do. What he was going to accomplish. 
And he was now conscious that his hour had come. And he was moving out of the shadows and he's coming into the light. And what was asked about who this is was going to be revealed because he's making it known that he was the Messiah, the promised one that fulfilled the scriptures. I want you to look at the participants in the procession. Not only the prophecy, but the participants. I want you to notice, my friends, that the instruction given again was what they would find. Watch, look at the apostles. Look at the disciples. It was in private. It was away from the eyes of the crowd. That the disciples were, if you please, mesmerized by the uniqueness of Jesus as he chose his mode of transportation. They spread, I, I love this, you look at the text, they spread their garments on the donkey as well as the colt to give Jesus a choice. <laughs> but he needed no choice. He knew precisely which one he was going to choose. And so the disciples then, by their act, showed how they honored Jesus, showed their affection for Jesus. It was done in private. It was not done in public. But I want you to see, my friends, that what they were doing in private was going to have an effect on what was happening in public. I want you to see that just as you are here this morning, if you should be confronted by the person of Jesus Christ to seek not only his will for your life, if you will honor him as the disciples did, it will have an effect on those outside of this building. People will know that you did not only go to church, but people will know that you have become the church. That you are doing something in private that God will make known in public. The people will follow you. May I, may I make a suggestion to you? I remember when I was a new Christian. Sunday was a special day. I had an aunt when I was a little boy. She was a devoted Christian. The only thing you could do on Sundays was to breathe. You couldn't do anything else. You had to keep the Lord's day. And it was a day that she did absolutely nothing else. The first school I went to, we used to prepare our meals on Saturday so we wouldn't be doing anything on Sunday except to be in the service. Sunday was a special day. But isn't it interesting, friends, that Sunday has been hijacked? It belongs to sporting events. It has taken away the opportunity for the family to worship together. I remember seeing a sign I was driving uh, to, to Southern Oregon years ago, and I saw a sign, the family that prays together stays together. You don't see those signs anymore. You don't see them. 
What has happened? The influence of the church has been lost. The church no longer commands the attention of the world. When the world looks into the church, it sees a reflection. It doesn't see a contrast. And what these disciples were doing, they were showing their view of Jesus to be so high, their affection so deep, that when they saw what the disciples had done, they decided to mimic the disciples, not the disciples mimicking them. Do we not need that again? This world, my friends, is hurting deeply. It knows nothing of fellowship. It is not unified. There isn't any political view that can, can draw and unite people. What unites people, my friends, is the centrality of Jesus Christ. It is where Jesus Christ is a central figure in our worship, in our homes, in our community. It did it once. It did it once. There was a time when the, the public at large so reverent the church that they wouldn't open, open on Sundays. There was a time when, when being a Christian was, was like almost having a private citizenship because if you're a country, people would say, oh, I guess I shouldn't do that. There was a sense in which you were, you, were, you were seen as someone special. In Canada, the premier of the province of Alberta, where I first entered Canada and lived for several years, a premier is like a governor of a state. And the premier of the province of Alberta was Ernest Manning a devoted Christian that had a, a Christian radio program every Sunday. You could hear Mr. Manning preaching. I could still hear his voice as I listened to him. Today in Alberta, if you dare to bring Christ in the public square, you are in trouble. They don't want it. Things happen in Alberta that one never thought possible. In 1875, Toronto was called Toronto the Good because the mayor of Toronto, the city of Toronto, for two sessions was the head of the Christian and Missionary Church, Christian and Missionary Alliance. He cleaned up the city not by making legislation that controlled people, but by living a life that was exemplary before the people, and Toronto was called Toronto the Good. No longer. No longer. We left Toronto in 2003 to move to Salem. When we left Toronto, it was the city I knew Today, Toronto is so different. There's killing almost every day. We never had that in Toronto as big as the city was. 
Toronto good is no longer there. The disciples, if you please, made Jesus Christ the one that could get them to do what nobody else would do, and when they did it, everybody else was doing it. See, Palm Sunday, my friends, is not only the idea of celebration. Palm Sunday is a day of revelation. Jesus was showing who he really was, and the disciples had a taste of that in private. And as they put their garments on the colt for Jesus to ride, he started to ride. And when the people saw that, they did the same thing. They started to put their garments on the road. The disciples gave their garment to Jesus to sit on. They gave their garment for Jesus to step on. So strong was the influence. My friends, what I'm appealing to you about this morning is that you and I need to recapture the centrality of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the one who loved us and gave himself for us so that once again our influence will go beyond the borders of the church into the community where we live and once again the church will get the respect of the community. We need it. I could say more, but that is sufficient. Because what I really want to deal with this morning is the pain, the pain that Jesus felt. It's one thing, my friends, for the disciples to do what they were doing, for the children to do what they were doing, for the public to do what they were doing. But here we have something unique. Luke 19, 37 to 44. It says, when Jesus saw the city, when he saw the city, the word saw in the original means to behold something with perception. So when Jesus saw the city, he did not only see lights or people. What he saw was the condition of the city. There was the inhabitants of Jerusalem that were living in a condition that caused Jesus pain. He saw a people about to bring chaos on themselves. Verse 42. When he saw the city and the people were making the noises they were, he, he, he said, do you see all these things? In less than 40 years, it will all be gone. In A.D. 70, Jerusalem was taken over by the Romans. They lived with the sense that we can make it work. We, we, we can do what is necessary to preserve ourselves. Jesus said you can't. And when he looked into the city, he saw a people self-indulging. He saw a people self-sufficient. And he, he said, you don't even know the visitation 
That word visitation means a divine visitor coming in to clean up things, to make things better. Jesus said, you don't know what is ahead of you. And, and may I be bold enough to say, my friends, you and I do not know what is ahead of us. Do you ever believe that there was a time in North America where to be a Christian would almost, is almost like being a criminal? It's talking about Alberta. There's a Christian couple that wanted to adopt a baby and the only, the only strike they had against them was that they were Christians. They were not given permission because they were afraid that the kid would be brainwashed. the condition of the city. Jesus saw spiritual ignorance. Jesus saw people married and given in marriage. Nothing wrong with that, but that was all they lived for. And I, I made a list of if, when Jesus looks at our cities today, what does he see? He see over a million babies aborted every year. He sees the changing, the changing attitude toward life. Where grade three children are able to determine what gender they will be. Parents at odds with their children children at odds with their parents. He sees the abuse of women and children. He sees a church where his word is being denied. He sees a political corruption causing confusion in our cities. He saw the result of man rejecting God. He saw all this and while everyone was celebrating the Palm Sunday, the celebration, his heart was breaking. Because Jesus does not only come to us riding on a colt to make us happy. He was going to die to make us holy. And he saw, the, he saw the things that were happening in the city. And when he saw it, he saw it with eyes of divine judgment. My friends, I'm not saying this to scare you. But what I am saying is that we cannot for much longer continue to reject God and expect the blessings of God. We can no longer expel God. <laughs> this, I, I, I tell the group of, of a, 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 a pastor, I'll just say, a supposed pastor in the city of Toronto, a pastor of a church who is an atheist. I played, I played, I played for the Wednesday night meeting. And, and may I just say this, please, please forgive me, 
the, 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 Sunday, the Wednesday night meeting, I was trying to remember that football player that I couldn't remember. I went home, those of you who were there, his name is Tom Skinner. <laughs> so that they know what it is. The rest of you, you weren't there, so just forget it. But I was playing a piece for them. An Anglican pastor in the city of Edmonton, in the city of Edmonton, that's where Ernest Manning used to have his radio program. He calls himself a pastor who is a pagan. And, and he tells about how he worships trees because he sees God as everything and everything is God. He's an Anglican priest. Spiritual blindness. Jesus cannot look into his church with any sense of joy if the one who is the head of the church is being evicted from the church. He saw the city, and his heart was breaking. And how did he respond to this? How did he respond to it? Listen, friends. The scripture says when he saw it, he wept. When he saw it, he wept. Let, let me suggest something to you. There's one other place in the Bible that says Jesus wept, and that was at the grave of Lazarus. But at the grave of Lazarus, he wept because he was identifying with those who were hurting. In this passage, he weeps because he knows the outcome of the rejection of God. The word for weep there, or cry, doesn't mean merely that the tears forced themselves up and fell down his face. It suggests rather a heaving of the bosom and the sob and the cry of the soul in agony. Palm Sunday was the announcement of the visitation of God to call the people back to their spiritual foundation. And when Jesus saw what was happening, he wept. And I ask myself this question. There are lots of things that I do not like that's taking place in our cities. Spiritual leaders who do not care for anything spiritual. I follow these things every day, so I know them in Australia. It's telling someone that a survey was taken in London and more than half the people didn't know what Easter is all about. And I ask myself this question. I can pray, I can pray about things that I encounter, things that I see. I can pray against the governor of the state. I can pray against the governor of the state south of us. I can pray about our own prime minister in, in Canada. I can pray about those who are doing some of the most vicious things to the lives of people. But I can never say I've shed a tear for them. I cannot say that I have wept over it. And before Jesus would bring, he tells them of the condemnation. But before 
the condemnation comes from God, Jesus weeps. This is a rebuke to me. This is a rebuke to our church. Because it is easier, easier for us to pray against things we don't like than to weep for those who are doing things we don't like. Jesus wept. He left us an example that we should follow in his steps. What was seen in Jerusalem, my friend, is still being seen by a hundred times more than because we have more people now than was then. And the brokenness, the bitterness, the toxic way in which people relate to one another should bring tears to our our eyes, not only to our hearts. Jesus sobbed openly. I was watching someone for whom I have great respect preaching on a text And all of a sudden, I heard him. And and, and as he began to weep in his pulpit, (laughs) I was standing there. I wouldn't do that. (laughs) My mother said, big boys don't cry. Ah, friends, if you would see the city as Jesus saw the city, you would weep. I would weep. And Palm Sunday is a cry from God to join him in weeping for the condition of the city and to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ has come into the world. That's why we were singing that song, the Lord is our salvation, because the Bible says that under heaven no other name is given whereby we must be saved. And Jesus Christ rode that colt that day, not as our judge, but as our king, who has come not only to weep for us, but to die for us, to go to the cross, as he will, Good Friday. And I invite you to join us for the service Sunday evening. Let us pray. Father, I don't know how you will use this word this morning, but it is your word. And I pray that our response will be the response that you would have us respond. And, oh God, I I meant what I said. That we have taken, I have taken too literally what my mother said that big boys don't cry. Well, Jesus wept. And he was not ashamed to make it known. Oh, give us the heart of Jesus to weep for our cities. Give us the heart of Jesus to weep for our children, for our husbands, for our wives, for our community, for our schools, for our politicians. Because when we feel the pain that Jesus felt for the city, we will be willing to pray as we've never prayed before for the city. Use these words, Lord, rehearsing again Palm Sunday 
to bring us to the place where we'll, we will surrender to him who is called the Messiah, the one who brings salvation to the cities. I pray in his name. Amen.